Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So uh, here we are in this um, fifth chapter of the Guide to Bodhisattva's Way of Life. And um, we've been covering so far the benefit of bodhicitta. Bodhicitta, this, this is all about becoming a bodhisattva, which the essence of which is to um, fully awaken, not just for yourself, but for the benefit of others. An incredibly um, uplifting, energizing, and noble aspiration gives a whole other dimension of uh, motivation and fuel for practice, besides which it said it's about as good karma as you can get. So um, talked about the benefits of, of bodhicitta, of, of taking that bodhisattva vow, preparing the ground, um, taking that committed vow. Last week we looked at using our intelligence seeing all the ways that unskillful habits get us into trouble. And now this chapter is called, well, Pema Trojan calls it taming the mind. Vigilance, um, mental alertness. It's really seeing, okay, you have the idea where trouble lies, and now you want to use your intelligence to stay out of trouble and cultivate the three disciplines, which in these teachings are causing no harm, not a bad attitude to have, um, causing no harm, gathering virtue or cultivating the good, and doing it for the benefit of others. This is very similar to, um, in another uh, Buddhist scripture, the three aspirations of causing no harm, doing good, and purifying the mind. So um, it's, a, it's a related but, uh, but slightly different way of, of putting that high aspiration for practice. These are the, those are the three disciplines that Shantideva talks about. And the way to tame the mind, anyone want to guess? Meditation. We're doing it here. And uh, he's... He gives a lot of reasons, uh, and uh, it's kind of like an ode to mindfulness, the first part of this chapter. It's actually a, a fairly long chapter. I'm not going to go through it all, but give you some, some highlights. Mindfully, listen. Those who wish to keep a rule of life must guard their minds 
in perfect self-possession. Without this guard upon the mind, no discipline can ever be attained. Wandering wandering where it will, the elephant of mind will bring us down to pains of deepest hell. And Shantideva is very mm, passionate in his in his encouragement, so he uses pretty strong language, talks about the hells that we can descend to, and really what he is pointing to, another way, if you don't, if that doesn't really inspire you, is to think of the fact that we create hells in our mind all the time. And so, if our mind isn't guarded, we can be living in a hell realm, not realizing we're the ones that that are creating it. No worldly beast, however wild, could could bring upon us such calamities. But if with mindfulness's rope, the elephant of the mind is tethered all around, our fears will come to nothing. Every virtue drops into our hands. How does that work? How is it that mindfulness can be such a great protection, can keep us from the hells in our mind? All anxiety, fear, suffering disappear when we tame our mind, Shantideva says. And it's so, it takes such commitment to keep on training the mind because we've been caught for so long. This lifetime, and if one relates to more than one lifetime, not that you need to, but there might be that possibility that we've been practicing other ways for a long time. So this takes tremendous commitment. Here's an image, by the way, of how we get caught. One particularly torturous state, one hell realm, we are continually, this is Pema Chodron uh, describing this, Con- uh, in one particular state, we are continually seduced up a hill made of razor-sharp swords to reach our lover. This is about lust, how we get ensnared by lust. Okay. Although we're cut to shreds, we keep climbing to the top in this state, only to have this sexy apparition turn into a devouring demon. This happens over and over again. <laughs> it's kind of like a variation of the myth of Sisyphus. You know. Such suffering results from the out-of-control cla- craving of extremely lustful mind. Starts as an ember, but quickly ignites into a full-blown hell of insatiable desire. Isn't it amazing how we get caught? You know, Oh, maybe this next one's going to do it. I remember Trungpa Rinpoche, who was one of... Uh, who was Pema Chodron's main teacher, used to talk about... Mm, ready for an image? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's not as, as hellacious as that, but he talked about samsara, that is, getting caught in this, this wheel of seduction and thinking, oh, this is going to bring me happiness, and whether, it's, whether it's wanting or aversion or whatever, unskillful actions, talks about samsara as... Uh, licking honey from a razor blade. 
<laughs> that one stayed with me for 30 years. You know? <laughs> 35 years now. Isn't that... kind of says it, doesn't it? You know? This is going to be so sweet. Yeah! I'd like you do it again. I can't believe... Duh. Oh, no! Oh, but here it is again. It's going to look so good. It's going to feel so good. I just know this time. Ah. This is what he has to say about anger, getting caught in anger. The hostile multitudes are vast as space. What chance is there that all should be subdued? Let but this angry mind be overthrown, and every foe is there is then and there destroyed. You know, you're walking in a crowd, and everyone seems to be in your way and kind of ticking you off, and there you are creating a hell for yourself. But in a moment that you see, oh, I'm getting pretty caught here, aren't I? Then you don't have to fix everybody else. You get out of the hell in a moment. And now comes probably the most famous verse. You might be familiar with this image from all of the uh, Shanti Deva's teaching. Talks about how we can get so caught in thinking the problem is out there, and if only everybody else could get their trip together, then I could find some peace and happiness. Not realizing, what does they say? Hap- uh, Sylvia's new book, Happiness is an Inside Job. And this is the, the verse. To cover all the earth with sheets of, with sheets of hide, where could such amounts of skin be found? And just having the image of, of um, you know, you're walking on, on hard ground, on gravel, and you just want to find some comfort. To, comfort. to cover all the earth with sheets of hide, where could such amounts of skin be found? But simply wrap some leather around your feet, and it's as if the whole earth has been covered. Likewise, we can never take and turn aside the outer course of things, but only seize and discipline the mind itself. And what is there remaining to be curbed if we do? So here's his case for taming the mind. When real and non-real both are absent from before the mind, nothing else remains for mind to do but rest in perfect peace from concepts free. This is so, and therefore I will seize this mind of mine and guard it well. When in wild, unruly crowds we move with care to shield our broken limbs, likewise when we live in bad company, our wounded minds we should not fail to guard. But if I carefully protect my wounds because I fear the hurt of cuts and bruises, why should I not guard my wounded mind for fear of being crushed beneath the cliffs of hell? 
mindfulness. All you who would protect your minds, maintain awareness, that's mindfulness, and your mental vigilance, that's alertness. Guard them both at cost of life and limb. Thus I join my hands beseeching you. And as I've said, he gave this talk at Nalanda University um, where he was a student and not in very not having a very high reputation, they, um, his fellow students thought, oh, this guy is just a lazy blackguard. And they, they said, you give the talk, hoping to embarrass him. And he said, okay, I'll give the talk. They didn't know that he was practicing so diligently on his own. They never saw him coming to classes, right? So he said, should I give the talk a classical talk or should I say something spontaneously? And they said, say something spontaneously. And then he came out with this text that is the text on compassion. As the, uh, as the Dalai Lama says, what he knows about compassion, he knows from this text. So there he is beseeching his audience, please, please, let us be mindful so we can awaken and, and share our practice for the benefit of all. Mm-hmm. Those who have no mental vigilance, though they may hear the teachings, ponder them, or meditate, with minds like water seeping from a leaking jug, their learning will not settle in their memories. You can have... Oh, I'll read this next one. Many have devotion, perseverance, are learned also, and endowed with faith, but through the fault of lacking mental vigilance will not escape the stain of sin, or that is leading to confusion, and downfall. So he's saying devotion is good, perseverance is good, faith is good, but if you're not practicing, it's really um, empty as far as truly coming to your own awakening and being of support for others. And he says that these things, devotion is a very good thing to have. And so is faith and so is perseverance. But they need to be, the mind needs to be tethered, as he says. Otherwise, we get distracted and lost. Um, Let's see. This is what his advice is for meditation. When mindfulness is stationed as a sentinel, a guard upon the threshold of the mind, mental scrutiny is likewise present, returning when forgotten or dispersed. He's saying to just very... All you need to do is tether your mindfulness to the moment as best you can, and when you get lost, no big deal, returning when forgotten or dispersed. As intense as he is and and full-on gung-ho, he says, you have to keep on just coming back. Don't worry about all the times that you've, you've gotten lost. If you do that, you're just going to be adding more problems. But if 
Each time you have a commitment, just like here in the meditation, your mind wanders, no big deal, instead of getting discouraged, oh, okay, got lost, come on back. That's your end of the deal. But you have to really keep up with that commitment because it's so easy to say, well, I got lost, but this is such an interesting thought. (laughs) Oh, let me just go with this one for a little while, or... Well, I've been doing such a such a, a good job with my practice this last week. You know, maybe I'll just relax a bit. He says, no, no, no. no. You keep your commitment. I, I remember Jack Cornfield once uh, was speaking to the Dalai Lama and, and he was talking about how how he sometimes would get burnt out, really exhausted. And the Dalai Lama asked him, well, are you having a... He wanted the Dalai Lama to give him some kind of magical mantra or medicine, you know, to rejuvenate him. And he said, well, are you, um, uh, are you taking any, any, uh, uh, any time for yourself? He said, well, maybe not as much. He said, well, yeah, do that. You know, take some time for yourself. Are you sleeping and eating well? Well, I could do that. And he said, well, sleep better, eat better, get some rest. And uh, Jack said, oh, okay. So do, does that mean you, you go off-duty? And he said, no, bodhisattva off-duty? Bodhisattva never off-duty. No, no, no. You just take care of yourself, and then you have what you have to give. But you're doing even that for the sake of, of others. It's not... Oh, now I get to kick back and just... It's good to kick back. But if you do it because you're rejuvenating yourself, because you really want to take care of yourself so you have that much more to give to the world, it's, um, then you can enjoy that relaxation and that rest with even a, a, a deeper level of inspiration. <clears throat> Practicing continually. I shall never vacantly allow my gaze to wander all about, but rather with a focused mind, always go with eyes cast down. That's if you're practicing, you're just kind of like really doing it on the intense side. But then on the other side, he says, but that I might relax my gaze, I'll sometimes raise my eyes and look around. If some person stands within my sight, I'll greet him with a friendly word of welcome. So you don't want to be so rigid that you're just, you know, it's uptight practice. You do what you can, but you have a, an ease and a lightness and a friendliness with yourself and with the world. Now, I'll just, with this first, there's three, three parts, and I'll just uh, share the end of this first part about how mindfulness helps tame the mind um, with these verses of... Restraint. This is the instruction to remain like a log. When the urge arises in the mind to feelings of desire or wrathful hate, do not act, be silent, do not speak, and like a log of wood, be sure to stay. When the mind is wild with mockery and filled with pride and haughty arrogance, 
and when you want to show the hidden faults of others to bring up old dissensions or acts deceitfully, and when you want to fish for praise or criticize and spoil another's name or use harsh language sparring for a fight, it's then that like a log you should remain. And when you yearn for wealth, attention, fame, a circle of admirers serving you, and when you look for honors, recognition, it's then that like a log you should remain. This is mindfulness catching all of these tendencies to glorify or to get back or to become petty and small. Mindfulness keeps you from moving from the level of thought to action. When you want to do another down and cultivate advantage for yourself, and when the wish to gossip comes to you, it's then that like a log you should remain. This is instructions to be a bodhisattva, not to get rid of those thoughts, but just to not act on them. Impatience, indolence, faint-heartedness, and likewise haughty speech and insolence, attachment to your side, when these arise, it is then that like a log you should remain. Examine thus yourself from every side, note harmful thoughts and every futile striving. Thus it is that heroes in the Bodhisattva path apply the remedies to keep a steady mind. So, this is not about repression, it's not about guilt, it's not about stuffing yourself, it's just not causing harm through your actions. We're all human, but if you have that commitment, like a log I will remain. As I read this, you, you read it by you know, the eighth or ninth time, and you kind of get the idea do I want to go down that road? Okay. Maybe I should just practice a little bit seeing where I tend to get lost and focus a little bit more that remaining log practice. So I want to just ask you to, um, we can take this for our own practice. Let's go inside and for a moment. When, uh, when are you likely to forget your log practice? What sets you off that either makes others wrong, makes you wrong, gets into your smallness, your fears, your confusions, that might lead to actions that you later regret. Words spoken, deeds done. Pick one that you might just explore this next week. So it's not just theoretical, but a living experiment. Have an image of the situation or the triggers that might set you off. And that can also include harm to yourself as well as to others. Because if we hurt ourselves, we just exacerbate that problem of smallness.
And what would it be like to remain like a log? To see with clarity and kindness that urge and decide not to act on it. Not to say the words. Not to click the send button. And what would you need to remember? Have an image of yourself in that moment. What would you need to remember to give yourself that option? as part of your bodhisattva training. You might imagine in your mind's eye doing it that way, remaining like a log, not acting on it, and seeing, imagining how good it would feel. Okay, and now what I'd like you to do, um, just to, if you're open to it, to turn to somebody near you. You don't have to go into the heavy-duty details if you, if you prefer not, but just give a little broad brushstroke on whatever level feels right to uh, share your practice, remaining like a log practice, doing it another way. Can just take a few minutes each. I'll, I'll tell you when to switch. Maybe about two, two and a half minutes each. Okay. So, and if you need uh, need somebody, raise your hand. If you want, you can find a third person. So, look around behind you, Howard. Right behind you. Look behind you. Somebody looking for somebody. Make sure the other person has a chance if you haven't switched.
Okay, start finishing up. Finishing up, thank you, partner. Okay, if you have a, if you got your practice, your log practice, just raise your hand. I'm curious. All right. So be like a, what do they call a bump on the log? No, you you can be the log, right? Um, and uh, if you do it, actually, if you do do it, or just play around with it, doing it in the spirit of bodhisattva practice just up-levels the whole thing, you know. So there you are beating yourself up or, you know, you know blowing your commitment to whatever, go to the gym or whatever your your wanting to discipline yourself or or just getting down on somebody else and oh you're you're not going to do that log practice you're doing it for not only your own well-being you're practicing restraint with being hard on yourself or hard on others causing harm either way as part of your bodhisattva practice you are purifying your heart and your mind for the benefit of everybody else in your life if you have trouble giving yourself a gift, think of it as giving everybody else in your life as a gift, uh, life a gift, and to all beings everywhere. So uh, I'll just move on because uh, uh, we've got a bit of ground to cover. I think I'll go pretty quickly through this. The second one, besides not causing harm, is gathering virtue, doing good. It feels good to. perform wholesome acts. Not that you're trying to be a saint and say, oh, look at me, you know, I'm such a wonderful person. No, 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 no. That's not quite exactly the bodhisattva ideal. But when it comes spontaneously, just because the movement of the heart is one that wants to share, that likes to see others happy, it's a very potent form of deepening one's connection with with others and purifying your own heart. This is what he says. When doing virtuous acts beyond reproach to help ourselves or for the sake of others, let us always bear in mind the thought that we are selfless, like an apparition. So you're not doing this to aggrandize yourself. The one who is doing it is just wholesomeness expressing itself through us. And any kind of identification with either, wow, I'm pretty cool, or oh no, you know, I hope nobody notices, you know, that's that's just as much of a Trunk Rinpoche had this great line, timidity is just another ego trip. 
Oh, no, no. You can celebrate the wholesomeness of your actions without necessarily taking credit for them, but just feeling how good it feels, how good it is to express your unique gifts just as they are. How wonderful to celebrate that. And they're gifts that have been given to you that you don't have to, you can't even take credit for, but you can certainly rejoice in. These are a number of, he has a whole list of actions. Things like faith, that we can do it, or not, not uh, attitudes, I should say. Uh, and then he has a list of actions. Faith, these are supports for gathering virtue. Faith that we can do it, a steadfastness that is a continued commitment to keep on practicing no matter how we have blown it. Respect for others, courtesy, modesty, humility, conscientiousness, that is diligence and honesty and calmness. And then he has a, a, a series of, um, of actions. Get it here. It's like a little prescription. And some of it is um, uh, specific to his time and culture. I don't know if I might not read all of those, but I'll just read some of them. Thus, with free, untrammeled mind, put on an ever-smiling countenance, rid yourself of scowling, wrathful frowns, and be a true, honest friend to all. Okay. Now, putting on an ever-smiling countenance might be a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> and Pema Chodron mentions that herself. But it's, it's basically to have the intention to be friendly to the world. And that, you know, if a scowl or a frown comes on your face, yeah, you're human, and actually, you don't want to stuff that either, the feelings that you have inside, but just know when they come out in your expression, when they're, when they're put out to the world, the world can feel our scowls and our frowns. So, again, this is not to, to be a saint, but just to have that intention to as best we can, be friendly with the world. And it's interesting, sometimes you can just kind of turn that switch on and it might seem a little fabricated at the beginning, but then, like, try this. Put a big smile on your face, like a big, stupid, toothy grin on your face. <laughs> Does it feel good? Sometimes you can... I say, no, I don't want to put a grin on my face, and I just feel in... Yeah, but you said you would, all right, already, and I'll just go like that. You know? Sometimes you have to remind yourself, oh, I can be friendly with the moment. You know? Not being a phony, but just knowing that you've got options. Do not act inconsiderately. Move... Here's one that's just as contemporary. Move furniture and chairs so noisily... Uh, do not act. Do not acting inconsiderately move furniture and chairs so noisily around. Likewise, do not open doors with violence. Take pleasure in the practice of humility. It gets very practical. When useful admonitions, this is a cool one, come unasked. When useful admonitions come unasked to those with skill in counseling their fellows, 
Let them welcome them with humble gratitude and always strive to learn from everyone. That means, he's saying, we're in the game to keep on waking up. And if somebody says in the most California style, are you ready for some feedback? You know, <laughs> I have a clearing. You know. Well, we might bristle, but we might think, what is there in here for me to learn? He says, keep being open to feedback. You might encourage or suggest ways that you can hear feedback better, but uh, be open to it. Extol them even in their absence when they're, when they're praised by others. And when, when they're, oh, they extol them even in their absence, extolling others. When they're praised by others, they do the same. But when the qualities that others praise of yours appreciate their skill in knowing qualities, that is, know how to take a compliment, instead of, oh, no, no, you shouldn't have, oh, oh, they have, they've got, Good judgment, maybe. I don't know. Uh, or just, oh, they made me see something in me. How wonderful. The goal of every act is happiness itself, though even with great wealth it's rarely found. So take your pleasure in the qualities of others. Let them be a heartfelt joy to you. When you see others shining, root them on. That's mudita practice. It feels so good. It's so different from jealousy and envy. Um, seeing and catching the sight of others, think that it will be through them that you will come to Buddhahood. So look on them with open, loving hearts. That is, seeing everybody as the possible cause of your enlightenment. If somebody is really giving you a hard time, oh, I'm learning patience through this person. If somebody is showering you with love, oh, I'm learning about being able to receive and give love. Everybody, if you're a bodhisattva in training and take it as literally as Shantideva says, everybody is a source of your awakening. This, is, this takes practice and takes patience, but it's just turning the mind in that way. Because gathering virtue feels really good. It full, fills the heart. Pema Chodron talks about a three-bite practice that you can do when you're eating. She says, uh, the first bite, and this is a, a, a Tibetan practice, you think of, of, um, of your uh, benefactors, of your people who've inspired you and who support you, and you offer the food to them. This food with the, uh, with the first two bites and then you're practicing compassion with the last. Keep on developing those wholesome qualities. So, I would just... And then you might look at other ways, though, minute and a half each, as it's getting close to the end of time.
Okay. So, gathering virtue practice. Raise your hand. You got? All right. Others, which is really what we've been talking about all these weeks, that if you do it with the spirit of benefiting others, it just, it uplevels it all. And uh, what he suggests is um, to keep on learning what you can while you're doing this, learning from... Um, learning from your uh, teachers, learning from inspiring books. He talks about studying. He has a whole lot of studies. Uh, read this sutra of the essence of the sky, the di- and the, this, read the digest, the digest of all disciplines. A lot of these are, are no longer available, but some of them are. Basically, what he's saying is um, keep studying uh, and filling your mind with nourishing input so you're inclining it towards the welfare of yourself and others. Then he ends with but all this must be acted out in truth. Must be acted out in truth. For what is to be gained by mouthing syllables? What invalid was ever helped by merely reading in the doctor to get it's to get slush. It's to embody the knowledge, embody the wisdom. Because all words are just reminding you of a place that you know inside. It's just that place of that gets overcovered with static from time to time. And all of the world is there to just remind you what you already know. There's a Buddha inside, that bodhicitta, that seed of, of, of awakening. It just needs some nourishment, some watering. And the more you do it, the more you keep on committing to doing it like that, then everybody benefits and you are heading towards the highest happiness possible. So, uh, we'll close with a short loving kindness right now. And feel, feel the wholesomeness of just being here together, sharing some quiet, what it is that brings you to practice with others. How beautiful, amazing that we each hear that call inside. And celebrate that. And wish yourself well. May I open to all the goodness inside and share it well. May I feel all the love that's inside and share it from my heart. May I see through all the confusions and fears and awaken to more and more wisdom and share my wisdom with all. And then sending those wishes out to everyone here and to all beings in all directions because we're practicing for all. May all see through their confusion 
and see their true nature. May all feel their goodness and share their love well. May all come to the end of suffering and know the highest happiness. And may our coming here together not only benefit us, but everybody in our life and ripple out to be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all beings find happiness and peace. Thank you very much. Have a great week. Enjoy your log practice and your gathering virtue practice. See you next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.